Good morning. It's great to be with you. I hope you're doing well. Um, how did you get on with the five questions I gave you a couple of weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago. Um, and uh, I was talking about entering a new era, leaving lockdown and entering a new era. And I kind of want to continue that theme today, if that's OK. But I'm going to relate it to the church. But let's do a little bit of a recap. Um, we're entering a new era. I looked it up this week. Uh, an era is this a new distinct period in history. Many prophets are saying we're entering a new distinct period in history. And if you remember rightly, I've got the scriptures down here somewhere. Um, I was saying that it's really important that we can see this. If we kind of, if we ignore the fact, if we get a little bit overwhelmed by the natural side of what's going on as we go through trauma or types of grief with all the pandemic stuff going on, uh, we can miss what God might be trying to do. So remember, Deuteronomy 1.8, see, I have set the land before you. Deuteronomy 1.21, look, the Lord has set the land before you. Joshua, when he finally goes in 40 years later and takes the promised land, the first thing uh, the angel says to him in Joshua 6.2 is, see, I have given Jericho into your hands. If you don't see it, if you can't look at it, if you can't behold it, that scripture in Isaiah, I'm doing a new thing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? We've got to be able to see it. So I'm still working on us really seeing and sensing what God is up to, because I believe that's my responsibility as a leader is to try and push us as a community and then anyone else around the world that's linked in to join us this morning. I want to stir up the eyes of your heart to sense and see what God might be doing. These were the five questions I gave you a couple of weeks ago. And the first question was about our posture. Is, <clears throat> is my heart, mind, body and soul in a ready posture to enter the new era. I love the little saying, it's not the load, it's how you carry it. You heard that saying before? Uh, have you ever wondered why one person can seem to carry an immense amount of pressure, but stay cheerful, stay energized, stay on the ball, right? And then sometimes, I don't know about you, um, sometimes I go, wow, I feel like such a wimp. I'm exhausted. I'm frazzled, you know, and I, I'm carrying half of what they're carrying. It's not the load. It's how you carry it. And often when I notice that I am struggling to carry the load that you think, well, any reasonable person should be able to carry this load. I notice there's something in my posture that's affecting how I carry. It might be fear related. It might be shame related. It might be in imposter syndrome, but we need to make sure our posture's good. And I said a couple of weeks ago, the key thing to all of this is to know that you are a loved son or daughter of the king. That's where it that's where it begins. Until you know you're loved, and I don't mean feel, I think feeling that you're loved might be a little bit of a, a myth. I don't know about you, I might feel like I'm loved one minute, but that get really grumpy the next when I'm suddenly hungry and I need a fresh slice of pizza or something like that, right? So it's not feeling that you're loved, that will come and go. Knowing that you're loved is a much, much deeper thing. We need to know the love of God deep in ourselves. The second question was my purpose. Can I clearly see God's purpose for me in the new era? And maybe the stuff I'm going to talk about today might help a little bit with that as well. The third one was my people. What close relationships do I need to enter the new era? Are there any relationships that are bad for me and that I need to put at a little more distance? Am I in the right church family? 
and am I going deep enough there? Church, oh boy, I do miss you. I, I managed to get a couple of coffees with a few people uh, this week, which was really, really helpful. Just, you know, socialising with Christians is a sacrament. It's a means of receiving grace. It's something practical that you can do that can bring grace into your life. And church is like that, isn't it? And I can't wait for us to be able to get back together and meet together because church delivers grace to your life. Um, but right now, the best we can do is small groups and online programs and then go meet a friend for a coffee or meet with five other friends in a park. But you need Christian company. It's a sacrament. It's something you can do. You can put it in the diary and you know, especially if they're healthy and I'm healthy to receive and enjoy all the benefits of a relationship under God, then a moment with a friend in God can be a sacrament to bring grace into your life. My purity, am I doing, thinking or saying anything that I need to change to line up with God's will for my life? I, I really think there is a purifying thing going on right now. Have you noticed? Uh, and this is what that normally looks like for the Christian because it, it sounds lovely when they go, oh, purifying. I just, I just feel that some things are a little, little, you know, out of alignment and then I say sorry to Jesus and it's all cleansed and wonderful. The reality is what normally happens is God puts a fire underneath a smelting pot of our lives and all the impurities rise to the surface. Anybody been noticing their impurities rise to the surface? right? That's what normally happens when God is purifying. It isn't always nice with a little scripture that comes to mind and then you just change. Sometimes God shows you the worst of who you are and for a little while you can hit rock bottom and go, oh dear, really, is that where I'm at? It's God at work. It's the fire of God bringing things to the surface. Don't mope around. Don't be shame filled. That's not the purpose. The whole purpose of when God's fire hits our lives is that things become visible and we can begin to deal with them. But his power, his grace, his mercy, his goodness is there to help you. And guess what? Nothing that rises to the surface in your life is a surprise to God, right? It might be to us, but it's not a surprise to God. So let God do his purifying work because he's committed to making us like Jesus. And so that's going to go on. And I believe it's happening a lot right now. So as stuff comes to the surface, uh, let's deal with it. Let's put it before God and say, oh, God, help me. I don't want to be that. I want to be this, do a work in my life. And then number five, his power. What mountains of difficulty do I need God's divine power to move in in this era? I believe we are in a moment of divine intervention and miraculous provision. We need to be asking big, cheeky prayers of God and say, okay, God, I almost feel like God's in heaven saying, will you ask of me? Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. You know, ask me for some big adventurous stuff. Don't have a faith that's just based on what you deserve. Base your asking on the wonder and the beauty of who God is because he wants to give to you. Amen. You get something from that. So those are the questions that we're working through. And I believe if we work through those, they will open the eyes of our heart to the new season that's coming. So we need to be working through stuff like that. And we, uh, we put those on, on Facebook and on Twitter and we email them to all the church. I'll, I'll find them again and pop them up this afternoon if you want to look on the Facebook page uh, or my Twitter account if you miss those. Okay, so we were doing that personally. What I want to do today is talk about us as a church. And I want to, um, uh, it, now it will apply to you personally, but I want to talk more broadly about what is God saying about our, our posture, our purpose, our purity, people, power 
in this time as a church. But listen, it, it will apply to you as an individual. I'll explain as we go along. Remember this verse, I love this verse. Without a vision, the people perish. Right, Proverbs 29, 18 that is. Now listen to it in the Passion Version. I love going and finding out what they've written about it in the Passion Version, right? Where it just kind of stretches it and opens up the meaning a little bit more. Listen to it in the Passion Version. It goes like this. When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Ah, anybody need a bit of heaven's bliss? I sure do. Heaven's bliss fills your soul. How do I get that? Everybody shouted or tweeted or whatever it is online, right? Here's how you do it. Get a clear prophetic vision. Have a sense of it. Do you know that Wesley used to say, if I'm not living in my vision, if I'm not ministering and doing the thing I'm called to do, I'll backslide. Wesley knew it. We'd love to think that we can just sit in a corner and we would remain an on fire Christian walking in the wonders of intimacy with God. But you know, sometimes it's what we do and the vision that he gives us and the places he leads us that causes us to get to our knees, get intimate with God. The history of the Bible shows through its pages that when the people were too blessed, they became passive and actually began to miss God. We need vision. We need a sense of purpose. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And I, I, I found something on my laptop yesterday that I've written quite a while ago. And I've shared it a little bit online and it seemed to cause a little stir. So I thought, well, I'll talk about it today because I want to share with you my dream for the church, which I believe is a prophetic dream for the church. So I believe it's God's dream for the church. And I want us to be able to see it. I want us to be able to behold it, to perceive it, to look at what God might be trying to do through this season so that we come out of it in the sense of being able to move forward with God. I, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm bored of lockdown. Anybody on my planet, right? Give me a thumbs up if you're on Facebook. I can see it right here. I got you right here. Oh, I'm bored of lockdown. But listen, I've got to get my eyes not on the irritations of what's going on in the world, I've got to get my eyes on what God wants to do and get my vision focused on where he's trying to lead us, okay? Without a vision, we're going to cast off restraint. You are not a good Christian when you don't have a vision. We start to misbehave and get lazy and apathetic in all kinds of ways. Every single one of us does. We need a vision from God. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of my vision uh, of the leader of this particular family, this particular part of God's church. But you know what? I believe it'll, it'll, it'll apply to loads of people. But here's the other thing. As I read this sense of what I believe God wants to do, I think now there's what? Oh, there's about 21 points to this. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on every single one, okay? But I'm going I'm to read at you. Um, but as I mention different phrases, I want you to catch something in your heart, okay? When I read something that connects with your area of purpose, your pulse is going to raise a little bit. I want you to note that as I read, because it's going to help you with your purpose. As I read these phrases, your pulse is going to just rise ever so slightly, a little sense of excitement over perhaps one or, or two or three or four of the phrases. And I want you to realise those are a signal about who you are and how you were wired and how God wants to use you in your purpose. So you can use this as a little thing to personally assess your own sense of purpose. Note it down and uh, begin to build around it. Okay, ask God questions about it. So here we go. Here's my dream of what I think the church should be. I dream of a church filled with God's magnificent glory. 
Her members are adventurers, not attenders. Her leaders are releasers, not containers, equippers, not superstars. Her children are powerful, not merely babysat or redundant. Her youth are leaders, strong in word, in purity and in deed. Her attitude is kingdom, not self-preservation or self-promotion. Her heart is generous, giving until it hurts, preferring others beyond themselves. Her worship is passionate and filled with encounter, not mere song singing. Her prayers are fervent, not apathetic. They're effective and authoritative, not empty. Her influence transforms nations, politics, laws, businesses, medicine, education, the art, government, the media, morality, the family. She innovates with fresh ideas and strategies to transform the world. She leads, she doesn't follow. She's the head, not the tail. She amplifies the message of the gospel. She clarifies Christ's call to discipleship. She exemplifies the unmatched love of God. She's filled with miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance and joy. Her services are presence-filled, powerful, challenging and Jesus-focused. She's clean and clear in a world of moral filth and confusion. She's gracious to the hurting and sin bad. Everything she touches is made clean. Her Lord is Jesus. Her power is of the Spirit. Her love is of the Father. This is the church I'm dreaming of. Wow. Should we just pause and sit for a minute? That's the church I'm dreaming of. How about you? What phrases, it might have been all of them, I read them and I go like, ah! What phrases raised your pulse a little bit? That's a signal of some area where you're meant to be involved. Was it the glory side, the worship side? Was it, was it youth? Was it children? Was it justice? Was it transforming society? Your pulse will have raised at a certain moment in, the, in that little list. It's a signal about your purpose. There's something in there that you need to build on. Now, let me hook into just, I don't know, three or four of those. I don't want to talk for ages and um, open them up a little bit. Okay. I dream of a church filled with God's magnificent glory. I, I will pop all this online again. Okay. I might even email you all it when we're done. Wow. I dream of a church filled with God's magnificent glory. You know, what's the glory of God? The glory of God is when God is made visible, tangible. He does things that are obvious. When someone's healed, it's his glory revealed. When God provides, it's his glory revealed. When something happens where God steps from the invisible into the visible, that's the glory of God being revealed. The, the heavy weightiness of all that he is showing himself, revealing himself in our world. Now, I don't know about you, I've been to many, many, many church services. I've been going to church for 50 years. I've been to thousands of church services and uh, I, I, I sometimes get a bit bored. Anybody? I sometimes get bored when I'm preaching, let alone others, because I've discovered this thing. The church is really supposed to be the house of God's glory. 
the place where the visible, tangible manifestation of God is, tur is turning up. It's not just a place for song singing and social action and sermons. It's so much more than that. It's the place where you go, wow, God is in this place. When the Apostle Paul is tidying up the Corinthian worship in, in I think it's 1 Corinthians, he turns around and this is tidy worship to the Apostle Paul. He says, when an unbeliever comes in, an inquirer comes in and you're all there prophesying, the unbeliever should fall down on their face and say God is truly in this place that's what the church is supposed to be like and you know what many of us have experienced days seasons weeks months even when God has swept into church and you know this isn't just the sum of sermons and songs and social action God is in this place I long for a church where you have to say God is here where people shake under the power of God at the threshold of the church because God is in that place. We've had it before when people have had to kneel in the lobby. They can't come in the main service because the presence of God is so strong. When unsaved people are overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit because God is there. When dozens of deaf ears are opening because God is there. When people are getting out of wheelchairs because God is there. 15-year-olds are taking crutches off people and they're beginning to walk. They're healed because God is there. We've, we're so used to doing church bankrupt, desert-like, devoid of him being there. Am, am I right? Come on. God wants to move among us. and That's my longing. I often say this, revive only feels right when there's a move of God at our core. I don't do dry church. I crave for the church to be the house of God, the place where his glory dwells. Think of it, you can't crave a meal that you've never had before. You, you generally don't, do you? You know, if you're, if you're really hungry, you start thinking through your memory banks of stuff you've had before and you're like, oh, I'd love to eat one of those steaks or I'd love to eat, I don't know what the vegetarians would want, a vegetarian lasagna, whatever it is. I've got to say that for my mum, she's vegetarian. You know, there's, there's, you crave for stuff you've experienced before. The sad fact of the church is that many don't crave a move of God because they've never been in one. They've never been in a service that's like Acts chapter 2. They've never been in a service that's like the dedication of Solomon's temple when the glory of God filled it and the priests couldn't perform their duties. You know, if you've never been there, you never crave it. But what you can do is hear the stories of it. God wants to move in a way that's so much more than songs and sermons and social action. We have to revive, long for the glory of God to move among us. This church can't be the sum total of how many good leaders we can get on board and how, how well we can put everything together. That's all good, it's all wonderful, but I don't know about you, I long for God. There was a revival in the mid-90s, 1997, I think it was, and um, the leader of the church there, John Kilpatrick, he, he, he used to sit, he had a good church, you know, several thousand people, uh, big, big building, everything, was, they were happy, it was all, of, all okay, but he'd sit on the top step of his, of his stage and talk to his few thousand people and he'd say, you know what, guys, we've got unity, we've got money in the bank, we've got a great building, there's thousands of you, we've got influence, but this is not it, there's something more. And what the thing was, was God needs to come to church. Church cannot be 
man-made. It's got to be made in heaven. That's what Jesus told us to pray, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Revive, stir your longing for a move of God. I believe part of this pause has been for us to analyze who we are, what we do. And I'll be honest with you, Revive, we've been so busy lately. We've been so spread across the region going for it. We're, we're trying to see the gospel come to, to the region and, and work with other churches to do that too. But you know, sometimes you end up so busy, you forget to tend the flame of God's presence among you. My heart is, if we do all the churchy stuff, but fail to have the flame of his presence powerfully among us, we're going to miss it. I wrote a book a little while ago uh, called 500. Here it is, nabbed a copy. And this is why I believe it's important because I believe God wants to bring his glory in this era to the church. In the book 500, which I wrote in, uh, must have been 2017, because it was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And through the book, I share how every 500 years, it seems that God adjusts what he is doing in the world. It's like we reach the threshold of a new era every 500 years. And in the book, I went back as far as Abraham's. That's quite a while ago, a little over 4,000 years ago. Um, but imagine this, every 500 years, there's a new era. 4,000 years ago, it was Abraham. Then 500 years after that, it was Moses, the key figure of the law. Then 500 years after that was David, King David, who was, uh, Jesus was from the line of, in fact, when Jesus came, they called him the son of David. Massive, significant figure that brought so many prophetic things about the future that we are enjoying now in the new covenant. 500 years after David was the exile and turmoil. 500 years after that was Jesus. The, the, the crux of all history, Jesus came. But 500 years after Jesus' arrival, after, after those 500 years of the gospel being blazed all over the known world, the Dark Ages began. And they lasted for a thousand years, two lots of 500. But right in the middle, there was a great schism in the church as a new era began in church life. Then 500 years ago, the Reformation began and the church began to be reformed back into everything that God wanted. And well, I could go into all the stories of the different great men and women that have transformed the face of the church and actually reformed it over the last 500 years back to more like it was in the book of Acts. Um, and here we sit at a pivotal moment in history. We've had 500 years of reformation. In the Bible, what happens when a, um, a temple is built or you could say, rebuilt, or you could say reformed. 500 years after reformation, a temple is ready, I believe, across the face of the earth. And what happens in the Bible when a temple is ready? The glory of God fills the temple. I believe we are entering an era of glory. So church, we need to long, or as some Psalms say, crave. I crave God and his presence. I long for him because God wants to be so much more than just political songs and social action. He wants his glory to be moving among us. Will you long for God with me, right? That's what this is all about. I, I know the end game of, of history is that the glory of the Lord is gonna cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's time for us to be longing for that. 
Long in your homes, long online, long in groups of six in a park, long as two households. But wherever you are, long for God to move. There has to be more to life than attending church and paying off your mortgage. There's got to be more. There's an adventure to be had. Oh, and that's the next one, isn't it? Her members are adventurers, not attenders. Like every pastor, I love a full hall. But listen, I, I, I want you to know, I know that's not what it's about. It's not about people coming to a church building, singing songs, enjoying sermons, making the pastor feel good and going home. No, no, no. As far as I'm concerned, Revive, you are not attenders of a church. Every single one of you are adventurers. My question to you is, what's your adventure? I, I'm not trying to fill Revive. I've got to be honest with you. I'm trying to empty it. I'm trying to empty it onto the mission field, empty it into the adventure of going to other nations or going to, to, to other houses, you know, three doors down. Whether your mission field is the other side of the world or the other side of the street, we are on an adventure to go and transform society. Can you do it? I want Revive to be like an airport terminal, coming and going, people leaving on mission, coming home, uh, recovering, getting rested up and restored, then sent out again. Uh, this is a place born to be full of movement as we're adventurers on an adventure, a band of brothers and sisters heading out, doing incredible stuff for the kingdom of God. We're not born to be a cosy club that we attend. And even now in the middle of lockdown, I want you to know, get a little glint in your eye, get a little bit of oh, something going, you're an adventurer. What's your adventure for this week? Your adventure in prayer, your adventure in mission. Who could you reach? Who could you talk to? What are you praying about? What miracle could possibly happen that you could pray for even this week? Get back on the adventure. You were never made to be a church attender. We gather and we enjoy it when we do, but why do we gather? We gather in order to go healthily. We gather because it's a sacrament of grace to put something in our lives. Why? So we can feel better and happy? No, it's not consumerism. God puts stuff into our lives when we gather, whether it's online or in person, so that we can go and do the adventure of what he, he birthed us to do. What's your adventure? D don't you know? D did your pulse slightly raise on a certain phrase? M maybe it's Somewhere in there, you need to think about that. Talk to someone else in the church that, that does a similar thing to that. But maybe you don't know. I love the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer in the Old Testament and, and the Philistines had stolen loads of the weapons. And so, you know, there's only a couple of swords around and Jonathan and his armor bearer had a couple of swords. So they thought, well, let's take on the Philistine army on our own. <laughs> and I love the little phrase when they set off to battle, just the two of them against hundreds of Philistines. They said, perhaps God will act on our behalf. Perhaps. You know, you don't have to be sure about the adventure. Just begin to move in a certain direction. Perhaps something exciting will take place. Come on, get on the adventure. Another one of the lines, her children are powerful, not merely babysat or redundant. Now, Vicky and I have had so many prophetic words about being surrounded by children. And I mean loads of children. And don't tell Vicky she's going to give birth to them all because she really isn't. That won't give her a fun day. 
I, I remember being in, in Colombia with David and Darry Luce Taylor out there and, and we got onto the land and they look after about one and a half thousand children and, and we walked onto the land where David and Darry is by the Caribbean shore and as we walked onto the school grounds hundreds of children came running at us and surrounded us and I know th th there's something on revive for the generations coming through. We don't want your children to be babysat. We don't want your children to be kind of looked after with a few Bible stories. No, the generation coming through are arrows in our hands to do something incredible in the earth. We want our, baby ch we want our children to be on fire for God and moving in the things of the Holy Spirit. I remember a story that Dan McCollum tells in the States where They've trained their seven, eight, nine-year-olds to move in the prophetic. And, and at one point they had a fire engine come in, you know, uh, for a, like a play day, like, like we do over here. Sometimes the fire engine will come in and the kids will put the hats on and mess around with the hose and all this kind of stuff. And then near the end of the day, they said to, to the fireman, they said, would you like the kids to pray for you and prophesy over you? And they're like, well, yeah, I suppose. And so the kids went for it. And this one little seven-year-old says, and I see you with a yellow badge on. What is that? Because God says, go for it. And the fireman opened his eyes wide and he said, well, the yellow badge is the next rank up. And I tried three times at the test and failed it. And the little kid goes, God says, go for it. And the fireman started to cry. <laughs> he went for it and he got the promotion the next time around. You know, even our kids can be blazing a supernatural trail of God moving in the earth. We're not here to babysit children. We're here to raise them up as weapons in the hands of God. Come on, everybody. Um, some good news. Emily Phelps-Jones is coming off furlough on the 20th of July, I believe it is. And uh, her team, oh, if I start naming them, I'm going to get named. Alison, Janae, Angela, Chris, loads of other team, right? They've been doing an awesome job online while Emily's been off. But Emily is, is paid to be our children's pastor. She'll be coming back later in the month and beginning to work with all of those incredible teams that have done immense stuff to, again, let's do even more for our children in this time. I don't want them to miss out. I want them to really be being raised up in all the things of God. And so I'm so grateful for the team that have been working so hard. Um, but it's going to be great to have Emily back too. And we want to keep investing in our kids to raise up an incredible generation in God. Are you with me? Absolutely. I know you are. Oh, another line here. Her youth are leaders, strong in word, in purity and indeed, oh boy, youth, you are incredible. I, I remember being in a church in South Africa, John Vassiman's church, those of you know that John and Vicky and I were there, I don't know, a year ago, something like that. And, and I was doing a conference and, and Vicky and Zach were sat at the back of the room and, and the conference was going on. And then in came this kind of youth troop, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? All, all dressed in the same sorts of T-shirts. They'd obviously been out doing something somewhere. And they all came in and sat at the back. And in a little quiet moment, Vicky managed to chat to one of the girls and said, hey, what, what do you guys do? Are you a, are you a drama group? Are you a, you know, are you, are you a singing group? What, what do you all do? And the one girl looked at her and said, we, we cast out demons and we, we heal the sick and we raise the dead. And I'm like, okay, that's telling me these were serious on fire young people. Again, we're not here to have youth that know a few nice stories. How's about we start living the real gospel on fire for the things of God and moving in the adventures of God? You know, 
You might not know who he is, but uh, a general in God called Maurice Sorello died yesterday. And it reminded me, who have we lost lately? So Maurice Sorello, um, oh, we've lost uh, Lester Summerall. We've lost Reinhard Bonnke. We've lost Billy Graham. We've lost T.L. Osborne. There's a whole list of a generation of pioneers who, who, as I was saying earlier, largely in the last 80, 90 years, have been reforming the church so powerfully. And in the last 80, 90 years, there's been things like massive healing revivals as healing begins to sweep the world like never before. Um, a, the, a revival of praying in tongues, a revival of apostleship and teaching, a revival of, of prophets all in the last 80 or 90 years. And you know what? This generation are kind of coming to a little bit of an end as we enter this new era. So what, what I want to say is, so who's going to take their place? What generation is going to rise up and go, okay, we need to do something remarkable in the earth. There's the ending of an era. There's the beginning of a new one. Every single, I think actually one of the traits of this new era is not that there will be great superhero, extraordinary men and women, but rather there is going to be a body of Christ that move in a power like never before. So I believe that will actually be different in the era that's coming. But that puts the challenge to every one of us, man, woman, child, youth, the challenge is out there. We need to be extraordinary by the grace of God. Are you ready to be raised up in it? Come on, let's do something incredible together. Oh, what last year shall I do? What time are we on? Oh, I've talked long enough. Oh, I'll just do this one. Her influence transforms nations. Politics, law, business, medicine, education, the arts, media, morality, and the family. It is time for kingdom influence, not cozy Christianity. Or sometimes I call it churchianity. Guys, we need to get out and do the business. It's not just about how many services can a church do and how busy can we be. It's about how can we transform a region or even nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, one of our girls, Leonie, she was asked to retrain the social services of an entire nation. Think of the influence we can have. Laws have been changed because of revived church members. Um, there are revived church members that influence the education of thousands of children. Think of David and Dari, I've already mentioned them, that work in Columbia that in the early days, the children would come through the school and they'd, they'd be happy to have a job at the end of it and get into some kind of employment at, at whatever low level it would be. But now they're coming through the school, they're graduating, they're going to university, they're becoming lawyers, uh, missionaries, uh, pastors, doctors, surgeons. That's transforming a nation. Revive, we were made, as was the rest of the church, to transform nations. What's your part in it? You might be transforming one home or one street or one business or one city or a hospital or a school. It's what we were born to do. And listen to me, we might be in lockdown but the mission doesn't change. The method might adjust for a bit. And I believe the agility from dancing around some of the things that we're going through right now will only make us stronger. I want us to remember, keep the vision clear. This is the kind of church God wants to build in Hull, across the region, across the face of the earth. God, do it powerfully among us. And so let me round up a little bit. As I analyze the church and 
all the things that we've been doing lately. And I, I think about the last couple of years and how incredibly busy you've been revived. We've worked incredibly hard, but I just want to note a couple of things. I always want us to be free enough to tend the flame of God's presence among us. Because if we do all the stuff, but neglect intimacy with God and that real sense of, wow, there is a side to this church that only God could bring, then we'd miss it. I'd rather lead a small church full of God than a large one that's dead and dry. Anybody else? Come on. We must give time to tending that flame personally and corporately together. And so I'm analyzing how we do that. I think sometimes we do just get too busy. It's true of, of our whole lives, isn't it? And this pause has been a great time to analyze and go, okay, who are we? How busy are we? What should we, what shouldn't we be doing? I felt a little bit that too, we've got a little bit cozy. I know we're trying to reach the region, but, and I might be, I know I'm only talking for pockets of the church, but we must give more time to evangelism, to reaching the lost and the needy. Because I don't know about you, I've always found the miracles of God happen most powerfully on the edges, not in the center. If we try and gather everything in and try and have some real nice tidy thing called church, you often find it's powerless. But when we get out to the edges, yes, we gather to enjoy his presence, but get out to the edges. That's where the miracles are. That's where those who need to hear the message most are. So we're going to make sure we tend the flame and we're going to make sure we go with the flame more than ever before as we come out of lockdown. Please pray for the team. Please pray as we analyze every part of what we do and say, God, we wanna make sure we are on fire. We are not too busy. We're doing exactly what you want us to do in this new season. Um, oh boy, shall I read it one more time? Okay, I'm gonna read it and then we're gonna go straight into a song. And as we sing this song, pray, pray for your life. What's your part in the vision? It's big enough on purpose. It's an apostolic vision. It's big enough for everybody to find their part and their individuality in what God is doing. So let me read it through and then we're going to go straight into worship. I dream of a church filled with God's magnificent glory. Her members are adventurers, not attenders. Her leaders are releasers, not containers, equippers, not superstars. Her children are powerful, not merely babysat or redundant. Her youth are leaders, strong in word, purity and deed. Her attitude is kingdom, not self-preservation or self promotion. Her heart is generous, giving until it hurts, preferring others beyond themselves. Her worship is passionate and filled with encounter, not mere song singing. Her prayers are fervent, not apathetic. They're effective and authoritative, not empty. Her influence transforms nations, politics, laws, business, medicine, education, the arts, media, morality, and family. She innovates with fresh ideas and strategies to transform the world. She leads, she doesn't follow. She amplifies the message of the gospel. She clarifies Christ's call to discipleship. She exemplifies the unmatched love of God. She's filled with miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance and joy. Her services are presence-filled, powerful, challenging and Jesus-focused. She's clean and clear in a world of moral filth and confusion. She's gracious to the hurting and the sin-bound. Everything she touches is made clean. Her Lord, her Lord is Jesus. Her power is of the Spirit and her love is of the Father. This is the church I'm dreaming of.